Good evening from Plug Hit Studios in Largo, Florida. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we are here with episode 497 of F5 Live, Refreshing Technology, for April 15th, 2018. This show is a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. This week, Apple wants employees to stop talking, Google wants to stop forgetting, and the FTC wants YouTube to stop tracking. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music Podcasts, the Podcast Play app in the Windows Store, a myriad of other podcatchers, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, our live stream partners, Livestream.com, Mixer, Periscope, Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook Live, or of course on our apps, PlugHitsLive.com slash apps. Thank you for making us a part of your day. There are two ways that you can do that. The first is by joining us live Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern for about an hour uh, by going to F5Live.tv slash join us. There you can chat with us in the in our chat room, in a number of chat rooms, and uh, let us know what you're thinking about the topics as we're talking about them. We always like to hear your feedback, especially about the Pilch Point, which will be on in just a little bit. We'll be talking about uh, kids' robots. Uh, if you're not able to join us live, that is okay. Uh, you can also subscribe to our shows by going to plughitslive.com slash subscribe. There you will see um, all of our shows, including F5 Live and The Pilch Point, our special events feed, which has stuff from, uh, I guess right now, our last event was CES. Uh, we'll have Synapse. Uh, published soon and then at the end of the month we will be at um, Collision in New Orleans and all of that will show up under special events our first looks which is about um, school-age robotics which fits in pretty well with <laughs> Abrams topic in a little while um, all of those and more are available at plughitslive.com slash subscribe um, Abram how has your week been? <sighs> Long and stressful <laughs> But, you know, some some good spots. It was my son's birthday. We had a big birthday party for him yesterday. So, uh, you know, it was uh, it was cool. Uh, just a lot going on at Laptop and Tom's Guide. Sure. As we prepare the Best and Worst Brands feature, which will be going live this week. Um, best and Worst Laptop Brands, I should say. We've been doing it for nine or ten years now. Uh, it's a big deal. Um, and uh, everybody tune in. Check out our site around Thursday, say Thursday afternoon, go to laptopmag.com and you can see, uh, you should be able to see uh, best and wor- our best and worst brands article, which will um, tell you who won. <laughs> um, we, But, it, you know, the winner isn't necessarily what matters. It's you want to know how each brand did and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And sure. we cover the top 10 brands and give each report card. So uh, see how your favorite brand did. Very cool. As as our regulars know, it is one of my my favorite features of the year from you guys. I always like to see how they're doing, especially compared to last year. Like their change, have people gotten better? Have companies gotten worse? That kind of thing. There have been some. There have been some changes for sure. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right. That that seems like an interesting tease. I cannot wait for Thursday afternoon now. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, around here, it's kind of been business as usual, obviously getting ready for collision. That's a, 
always a big event for us. It's our our second biggest event of the year behind CES. Um, interestingly, if we fill our schedule this year, we will actually produce more content at Collision than at CES, which terrifies me. Because <laughs> I've only got two of us on air for, um, I think we're doing eight or nine hours a day. <laughs> we're going to be dead. But it's okay, because it's going to be a lot of fun. I've been looking at the companies who have been uh, hitting the schedule. There are going to be a lot of interesting uh, interesting topics. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, charitable giving, seemingly a lot. I think I've seen three or four different charity-based organizations, so that should be interesting. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, like I said, you guys can follow along uh, with all of the stuff for Collision. Um, actually, we've got a domain this year to make it easy. It's collision.live. That's where we will be live. It seems pretty simple to me. Uh, so follow along there. Uh, that will be at the end of the month, um, April 30th, and then May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Uh, our team's really looking forward to that. And I guess with that, how about we get into some news, Avram? Great. This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a laptop, a tablet, um, a phone, the even the new Galaxy S9, you're looking for um, virtual reality headsets, the HTC Vive, or any of the Windows Mixed Reality, uh, or a new Xbox One, all of it is available now with a number of deals, including $150 off on the Surface Book 2, um, $200 off on uh, certain models of the Surface Pro. Uh, you can get some free games if you buy a new Xbox, and then up to $400 off a variety of laptops. All available by going to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. So, um, We've talked, Avram and I have talked on the show in the past about, uh, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how um, Apple had, for the first time in a long time, managed to get um, analysts confused, to not quite know what was coming. Um, some of it we talked about was because of the fact that we weren't sure that they necessarily knew what was coming uh, because this whole generation of phones really threw them off. Um, their sales have been unpredictable even to them, it seems. Um, and then the HomePod has been even more so. It, they couldn't have predicted that there would be almost no demand for that. Um, but we also talked about the fact that there's been way less information coming out of Apple unofficially. Um, just in the last couple of months. And as it turns out, that might be because Apple has cracked down on internal leaking. Uh, interestingly, in what I believe to be the irony of the week, a leaked internal memo <laughs> from Apple um, discusses their crackdown and um, uh, repercussions for leaking internal information. 
Now, I don't know that this will necessarily fall under that category, but uh, they talked about that the company in the last year has caught 29 leakers, all of whom theoretically have been um, uh, fired, and 12 of them have ended in arrests, which is fascinating. Now, in the last year, we did see uh, leaked iOS code come out of the company. And so my guess is most, if not all, of those arrests surround actually leaking product, like, you know, patented information, like the code for iOS. So I don't know that for sure, but it seems pretty reasonable to me. Um, Obviously, Avram, keeping information internal can be important you don't want you don't want people consciously knowing that you're working on a replacement to the thing they're thinking about buying today because that that can oh that can negatively affect uh sales today (sighs) you're talking about the famous osborne effect the um which Apple seems to do a good job of trying to avoid, but a lot of other companies are more than happy to Osborne themselves all the time. Uh, So for those who aren't familiar, in the 80s, there was a company called Osborne Computer. Um, They made their, you know, this is what the really early computing days, like in 81, 82, 83, when it wasn't even clear that like PC, IBM PC-based, MS-DOS-based computers were going to win. and so there was this company named Osborne Computer, and they were showing around their computers. These, mind you, the computers in those days, they were three and four thousand dollars in nineteen eighty-two dollars. So you know, very very expensive. And they had something like I forget the exact details, but they had like a Model Two. Or when they were showing it around, the salespeople say, "Oh yeah, but just wait for our Model Three. That's going to be even better." They had they lost so many sales from people saying, "You know what? I'm just going to wait for the better model." that I think it caused them to go out of business. So uh-huh. so definitely, if you knew, if there is a product that you knew a better one was going to come out um, you know, in a relatively short period of time, you'd wait. Unless you really need one now. You know, right, like right. If you're, if, you're iPhone, if you're an iPhone owner and you, and you drop your iPhone and it breaks in half, does it matter to you that in two months there's going to be a new iPhone? You're not going to live two months without a phone, so right. you got to get one now. But you know, let's say a very more common situation. I've got my iPhone and it's a little long in the tooth, and I'm thinking of upgrading soon. And then I hear, "Hey, in two or three months, there's going to be something much better coming." Oh, I'll wait my two or three months. Sure. So, so I think uh, that's that's a common situation for sure. But keep in mind that while Apple is really good about keeping these things a secret, um, we've had many companies show us things very publicly um, and then not come out with them for a few months. Right. I, I mean, one thing you can say about Apple is it's almost always the case that when they announce something, it's ready to ship. They almost they almost never announce something and then, oh, yeah, this is coming in a few months. That was the case with the iPhone X, uh-huh. or the iPhone, or the iPhone 10. Sorry, iPhone, iPhone 10. Um, when they announced in September, it didn't start shipping till November. Uh, so, like a, you know, a few six weeks 
you know, month and a half, two month wait. But, you know, I, I bring your attention to CES where we saw a whole slew of stuff, some of which just came out two weeks ago. Right. You know, I mean, we saw a whole bunch of new new ThinkPads. They only first started coming out like, you know, mid-February, end of beginning of March, some of them. You know, well, if you were going to buy one in January, really the best advice was to wait. You know, if same thing, you know, you could say the same thing about, you know, if you were shopping for a two-in-one, maybe mm-hmm. you'd want that XPS 15 two-in-one. Well, you know, it was announced at CES, but it didn't come out until two weeks ago. So, you know, there's a lot of things like, there's certainly a lot of things on the market where, in the PC world anyway, where they get announced and then they don't, they don't ship right away. But uh, Apple usually does like to ship around the time that they announce, which is good for them. I, I want to pose a little conspiracy theory to you, though. Okay. What if the leaked memo was leaked on purpose? Oh, almost certainly. What if Apple, like, what if Apple want, wants that out there? I Almost certainly that's the case. Because I think they want, I think they want on top of their employees knowing that there are repercussions. I think they want the journalists to know that there are repercussions for the employees. And maybe they want the world to know that they're cracking down. Um, The other thing is, you know, again, how do we know that all of the leaks that have occurred were, um, were done by nefarious employees and none of them were planted purposefully? Like, Obviously, iOS code or something like that, you, they wouldn't want out there in the right, wild. Right. But all this rampant speculation about what the next iPhone is going to be, don't you think that's good for them? Yes. I, I think. I mean, the certainty, if there was a certainty and they announced it and stuff, then, you know, then maybe that would Osborne their products. But this rampant speculation that goes on all year long about mm-hmm. what the next the next iPhone and half the stuff is just magical fantasy stuff. Of course. Like, <laughs> I mean, truth be told, they don't have to release anything. Any, They don't need to leak anything because people will start coming up with stuff out of whole cloth. Sure. Um, and calling it an Apple rumor. So, you know, and some of them will be correct just because. Just like, you know, if you lock a monkey in a room with a typewriter, eventually they'll write Shakespeare or something like, you know, obviously there will eventually someone will eventually get something right, even if they don't know anything. But, you know, I, I don't think this rumor business is all is all bad for Apple. I think it's mostly good for Apple, but they uh, but they obviously like to keep a tight ship. And, uh, you know, I feel like more stuff is coming out under Tim Cook than was coming out under Steve Jobs. Because Steve Jobs was, a, uh, you know, I, I've never worked at Apple, so I don't know. But Steve Jobs seems like he was a real, like, you don't want to get on his bad side. <laughs> yeah, there's the there's the famous story about the, the iPhone 4 being chucked across the, across the room at the designers because they didn't bring him a shade of white that he liked. Right. So, you know, maybe what maybe you're more afraid to leak when you have that kind of that guy running a company than sure. than a seemingly nice guy like Tim Cook. Um, 
<laughs> for sure. But, but, I think um, I'm with you on that. You know, but anyway, that's my two cents. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think, um, I, I think that that this is almost certainly leaked on purpose. I think you're right that some of the stuff that comes out is probably done by corporate because they're trying to to keep that speculation going so that their name is always always in the press and not just coming and going. Um, but when it's things like photos of the chassis and things like that, when those things start coming out, or, um, you know, uh, well, this is what the, this is what the camera hole looks like when, when like legitimate, these are photos of a thing start coming out. I think that's when they start to panic. And of course, you know, when they have source code leaked, as soon as you have source code out there, it starts to become a whole lot easier to, to jailbreak or, um, or create unofficial ROMs because you know how they store the operating system on the on the phone and that's no good for Apple. You know, they they went to, to court with the Justice Department to to keep that stuff private <laughs> to make sure that that wasn't possible. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that's the kind of stuff, almost certainly that's the kind of stuff they're trying to uh, to keep a handle on. This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by Monster Products. The headphones on my head right now, um, the the Monster DNAs, <clears throat> the headphones that I usually wear, the Monster Elements, or a whole variety of in-ear, on-ear, and over-the-ear uh, corded and cordless, um, you know, Bluetooth and sport speakers from the little uh, S100 to the big S400, and of course the Monster Blaster, and all the cables and power to connect them, all available by going to uh, pilchpoint.live slash monster. And Avram, you have got one of our favorite things to, to talk about and to show off this week, robots. Yes. So, um, this week was my son's birthday, and... Um, you know, he's been obsessed with robots lately, like programming robots. And it occurs to me that, like, not every parent gives their kid as much access to robots as, as I give to my son. <laughs> um, and uh, it occurred to me when, you know, his friends came over for his birthday party and they're like, oh, where are the robots? Isaac tells us all about. So, um, you I know, love so. That. I want to, uh, you know, actually, they, they looked and they saw my, my home office and they're like, is that where Isaac and his father build the robots? Anyway, so, you know, I, so for parents out there, you know, we maintain at, at tomsguide.com a list of uh, robot kits for kids, but I wanted to uh, bring on a couple of examples and talk about what, what, uh, what to look for. So one thing you got to decide if you're a, if you're a parent is, how well not decide you've got to know when you're deciding on what robot to get is how old is your child and how well do they read um because you, it is very possible to teach a child to program or the the principles of programming anyway 
before they can read. Um, and one of the best kits for that is the Lego Boost kit, uh, which my son, you know, loves because there's absolutely no language whatsoever in the app. There's no words. It's all pictures. The code is pictures. The instructions are pictures. There's not one single written word in the entire app. Um, so, so that's good. Now, my son is in kindergarten. He's just now learning, learning the basics of reading. Uh, but a few months ago, um, a, pro, uh, a robot called the Dot uh, crossed my desk. Uh, it's been on the market a little while. It's, it's from a company called Wonder Workshop. They came out, there are a couple versions of the Dot. One is just a blue ball and one is green. And then the green one has, the green one comes with some like little plastic things you could put on it to decorate. Um, and I thought that this robot was like, eh, it doesn't roll. It basically has an eye. It, it talks, um, it talks, it can't move at all, but it has an accelerometer sensor, uh, and like a sound sensor. So you can program it to do, you know, to say things or light up different colors when you press its buttons or shake it or, or whatever. Um, and I was like, eh, is he going to really like this? And the app had a lot of, you know, a lot of words in it. You, you know, you, you can't fully appreciate or really even partially appreciate the app if you can't read. Uh, and at first, I was going through all the programming challenges with him, dragging and dropping stuff, showing him. And I figured, eh, he's going to, he's, he, you know, we got through a bunch of challenges. I was like, eh, this isn't too exciting. He's not going to want it. He's not going to keep playing with it. And boy, was I wrong. He became obsessed with it. And he learned how to do all the, a lot of programming things with it and keep doing them because whether he could read them all or not, he he's really good at memorizing where things are in an interface and what they should look like. Um, and so I was really impressed with that. And then for his birthday, he was like, he was for weeks talking about how he wanted uh, the more advanced robot that Wonder Workshop makes or one of the more advanced robots Wonder Workshop makes, this one right here, which is called the dash. Um, so the da the dot, which I have somewhere on here, but uh, couldn't find to bring on here, uh, is just like this top piece. It's just the ball up here with the eye. The dash ha adds these three bottom balls because it has wheels and it can roll around and the head can turn. Um, and uh, it has it has a sensor like an IR sensor in the back, um, and you know you can program it to roll around to. To, to say things, to move its head, uh, all kinds of things you can do with it. Now, what's interesting is there are some expansion kits which we got him. This is one right here that's attached to it. This is the catapult. So you attach the catapult. There's a little ball. It comes with a couple of balls. And then when the ro you program the robot to do this, to move its head back, it'll shoot things. Um, and he loves that. Um, no the kidding. Other thing, the other thing he really likes, which is a little big for me to bring over here in my offices, uh, it has a, a xylophone. So you attach the xylophone here and you attach a mallet to its head and it like moves its head up and down and it plays songs on the xylophone. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool. So, so he, he really loves this robot. And I thought, man, you're going to need to be a little bit more like of a reader and literate, but he picked it up right away. And there's like, Several there's a huge ecosystem for this dot and dash robot. There's like eight different apps uh, For it which allow you to program it in different sorts of 
different forms of programming like you know one is a block based language the other I mean they're all dragging and dropping but like and he's tried them like he's tried them all he's programmed and he's tried one that's like called blockify and you drag around with blocks and he's tried the the default wonder workshop one that it comes with and all kinds of stuff so uh, I really have to say uh, because it's so engaging uh, this would make a good a good robot for a kid who's like maybe on the cusp of reading you know five to seven maybe a little older even maybe eight or nine um, you know this is a this is a great choice and this one is a hundred the the uh, dash itself is $150, but the dot is about $60, so uh, it's a lot less expensive if you want to do that for, for getting them started. Now, um, over here, I have a robot for older kids, a little bit older. Maybe maybe you got to be at least, I would say, probably 10 to really appreciate it. Isaac and I built this one together, um, but it's the, the programming language is a lot more complicated. Um, there's a lot more text in it, whatever. Um, this is a, one of the many Ubitech Jimu robots. Ubitech makes a whole bunch of these kits that are sort of like Legos, but they're not Legos, and you put things together. Um, this one here I like the best. This is the least expensive one, too. It's called the BuilderBot, and I think it's about $89 or $99, depending on where you get it and if it's on sale. Uh, and it allows you to build a couple of different things. This is one that's like construction vehicle here it's got treads and moves around this eye here um, actually lights up in different led colors you can program that and it has an ir sensor so you can sort of program it to to go around and not bump into things and of course it has this claw and you can program it to pick things up so um really cool but this one doesn't have that the app is doesn't have the level of tutorials and hand holding that say the apps for Lego Boost and for um, for the Wonder Workshop robots have. This one is is a bit more advanced, and the building process definitely, uh, you know, you definitely either want a parent to help or you want a kid who's like at least ten years old for that. Um, but you know, for an older kid, this is better because it's going to be more complex and challenge them more. So those are just a you know, a few robot kits to consider the Lego boost for real, the Lego boost, this, uh, you know, the dash, the dot, the, the dot, which is a less expensive version that doesn't move. And then the UbiTech Gmo robots, uh, which I showed you the builder bot, um, are all good, are all good choices, uh, for kids of different ages. Oh, sorry. I hit the wrong button. <laughs> I, Okay, so the the dash, I don't know why, but when I was looking it up a couple of weeks ago when we mentioned it in passing, I had it in my head that it was way smaller than that. that I is, think maybe you're thinking of the dot, which is the only the, the head, basically. The well, dot is only a ball. Well, I had it in my in my head that all of the all of the spheres were physically smaller, which I think the size that you that it actually is is way better than what was in my head so yeah no it's it's you know i don't know how to describe it for the audience but you know you can see the scale sort of next yeah. to my head that's you know um that's a good size i like that i mean i mean i think i think that's a good size for kids robot rolling around the floor you know 
it's not so small you're gonna like accidentally step on it <laughs> which is important <laughs> yeah. yeah no yeah. doubt especially if if you've got a kid like Isaac who would be yeah. obviously would be devastated to have that uh, yes. to have that yes, broken he, yeah yeah he'll be upset he was really obsessed with it you know until until he finds a more complex robot but for now I, it was amazing to me how much he played with the other one I was like well all you can do is make it light of different colors or whatever but I think the fact that these robots have sort of a cute personality uh, really does have an impact so me looking at it as an adult through adult eyes I didn't see the appeal as much as as, as he did so Sure, that makes sense. But, you know, we've talked in the past about the idea that, you know, it lights up and and that might be enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We, we know we talk, we've talked a couple of times in, in our Razor promo um, about their Chroma system. And it's adults programming lights. I mean... Sure, the lights are in your keyboard and in your mouse and maybe in an LED strip around your thing, and now the Philips Hue can tie into it. But, I mean, that's just like a grown-up version <laughs> of being yeah, able these, to program lights. These are more than, I mean, I didn't get too into this, but um, these are a little bit more than just programmable robots. I mean, they are programmable robots, but what I mean is when you they do some things independently, like when you turn them on first, they'll say, things like, oh, where am I? And... If you leave it on, it starts talking about different things. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's got a little bit of a personality. That's cool. You know, I, I find the personality, I find the fact that a robot would have, this is real old school to me, but I find the idea of sort of social companion robots like that a little creepy, but <laughs> kids love them and a lot of people love them. So, you know, it's, you know, it has that sort of little cute stuff to it. And then when you're older, you're like, I don't need this. Just give me a tool to program. But when you're my son's age, you know, you, you find it very appealing. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you said that, uh, that you guys maintain a list. Yeah. Of, so of we the best. have a list. We have a list, which I have to update further, but these are these, I believe all these are on the list. If you go to tomsguide.com, we have a list of best robot kits for kids. Fantastic. Well, always love seeing the robots and the things that, that you have in your office. I'm I'm right there with the kids. I'm always excited to see the stuff that, that you've got going on <laughs> in your office. I, I can't I can't deny I do enjoy, you know I do enjoy seeing cool stuff. It uh it's definitely the uh the best part of the job <laughs> getting to getting to play with new stuff no doubt well thanks a lot for uh for showing those off abram oh always a pleasure This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Razer. All of the accessories you need to up your gaming experience on your PC or on consoles. Um, right now, we've got a deal that's running at least through the weekend. I don't know how much longer. Um, where if you buy any two peripherals, you can get 10% off if you use the, the promo code SPRING10. Um, and accessories are not 
just little things like a mouse pad. We're talking about, you know, saving 10% on a $200 keyboard and basically not computers is, is what we're talking. Uh, there's a lot of featured uh, keyboards and mice and things like that uh, available. And of course, there's a lot more than just that from, from Razer. You've got headsets and you've got controllers, you've got full laptops, uh, webcams, and the new Razer phone. And all of that is available by going to f5live.tv slash Razer. So, when it comes to, to video game high scores, there's probably a particular name that most people know, and that is because of the documentary that followed him, The King of Kong, and it's Billy Mitchell. Um, he was the first person recorded to, um, to hit over a million points on Donkey Kong. He has since theoretically done it a couple of times, um, twice uh, during the documentary. And he's also um, had high scores for Pac-Man. And a couple of months ago, um, the, the website Donkey Kong Forum, which is one of the three places that maintains high scores for that particular game, um, received some information about his high score and or uh, about uh, his uh, million point video. And so they went and investigated. And as painful as this sounds, they went through sections of the, the video frame by frame looking for uh, inconsistencies. And what they found was that in transitions from uh, level to level, there was artifacting. If you don't know what that means, it means that um, some of the visuals from before, from like the first level, when you're going from level one to level two, right? you've got the level and then it goes to the little uh, animation just in the center of the screen and then it goes back to level two. So if you take that into consideration, when it transitions from one to that center animation, there'd be little pieces, maybe just little pixels here and there of level one left behind. Now, why is that important? Because the arcade machine never did that. Uh, there was no artifacting in the original arcade machine because uh, the way the video was handled was very different. You know, printed circuit, it was all very specific. Um, so everything went directly to the video card. Um, so that suggested to them that they, that he had actually used a, um, an emulator, uh, MAME in particular, which is the multi multiple arcade machine emulator. Now, why is that important? Because high scores have to be performed on the actual arcade machines. Since then, uh, the organization, um, Twin Galaxies, Went and did their own investigation. Oh, they so uh, Donkey Kong Forum pulled down all of his high scores um, and said they were invalid. And then Twin Galaxies, who is like basically the official uh, platform, went and did their own investigation, also agreed that it was probably MAME, but then also uh, believed that the footage might be cut together from multiple runs. And they pulled down all of his high scores. 
Now there's two of our three. Number three is Guinness. Um, Guinness, unfortunately for him, uh, Guinness uses Twin Galaxies as their verification service for most video game stuff, and so uh, he lost his scores there too. Now, why is this important? <laughs> it's important because we're seeing competitive gaming um, starting to really gain some traction. And to ignore the roots of competitive gaming would be insane, right? Like, to not know where football came from would, in the, in the early days of football, might make the enjoyment of it bizarre or may make it more likely that uh, people would cheat. And in this case, that's, that's why this topic is important is because as we're getting, you know, competitive gaming is, I mean, it's on TBS. It, like, it, it's on television. It's, it's hit the mainstream at this point. Um, it's important to know that, you know, people have cheated. And uh, it's being taken seriously by the organization's that are in charge. And I think that's I think that's a good thing as, you know, things like E-League, which is the organization that's teamed up with Turner for uh, TBS, um, start to really gain some popularity. I think it's important to know that you know, it's going to be treated seriously uh, like any other sport. What do you think, Abram? Uh, obviously important. What I question is why did they accept a video from him in the first place? That was how it was always done. Uh, yeah, it I didn't. Mean, it I, didn't have to be done live because there were there were certain things that could be uh, done to verify. Um, now you know these these uh, these scores. the The original one is uh, from two thousand seven. So obviously, the ability to verify has even gotten better in the last eleven years. Um, and and so here we are. And they went back and re-verified, and they're like, "Yep, you know what? We were wrong." So that that's the reason why they accepted the video. Um, they it was, apparently it's just the way it's done, hmm. or maybe was done. May not may not be that way anymore. I I'm just when I heard about this first heard about the story, I was so uh, surprised that people. I mean, I guess it just shows my ignorance of the space that people were so um, into high scores in Donkey Kong and Pac Man in 2018 <laughs> well the the idea that a game even a game you know maybe even particularly a game that old where there were glitches right there were none of those games were ever perfect they were close but none of them were ever perfect um the idea that there could be a perfect score because there's there's an end to the game the idea that there could be such a thing as a perfect score um, drives people to be intrigued by that ever-elusive perfect score. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's something that I hadn't thought about until I started looking into this kind of stuff a number of years ago. Um, I mean, you see, you see two types of of people in the space playing really old games. You see people looking for that elusive high score or a perfect score, or you see people doing speed runs who have figured out all the little, you know, intricacies 
of the game and can get through it quickly, not necessarily caring about the score, but simply trying to clear, uh, which I think is just as fascinating. Actually makes for more interesting watching for me, but uh, you know, I still haven't totally gotten the, um, the watching people play games, uh-huh. uh, trend. I know that esports are really big, but if you're going to do that, at least let it be a game that's like, you know, has some really interesting content in it. I sure. mean, these games weren't meant to be played for the amount of time that people are playing them. <laughs> that's they for were sure. meant to get you to pump some quarters in until you ran out and had to go home. Uh-huh. I mean, that's for sure. That's they weren't they weren't meant like today when you have games they really they have like a beginning a middle and an end like a movie and you know sure if it's if it's a home game after a certain number of hours you're going to reach the end and if it's and if it's a um if it's still in an arcade if you could pump in you know just stay there for hours and pump in a million quarters you would also win so true you know you know, it's but back in the early '80s, the cons—they didn't have that as a concept. Right. The games were supposed to basically go on until you, until you had no more money to spend on them. And theoretically, nobody would make it to the halfway point of the level algorithm for something like, say, Pac-Man, which visually most people can see the Pac-Man board in their head. Um, you know the. The thing that generated those levels was consistent, but, you know, they didn't think that anybody would make it to the halfway point, which is why it was algorithm driven the way that it was. They figured, you know, you'd you'd run out of lives, you'd put some more quarters in, you know, it's sitting at a pizza hut or an arcade or wherever it is. And eventually you run out of quarters and you move on. They they certainly never expected that. Here we'd be sitting 35 years later, 35, 48, 35 years later. That's what I thought. Uh, talking about knowing what the end of that algorithm looks like and being able to get to it without losing a single point. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> which I think makes it more that idea more compelling. I may not be able to watch it. Like, that's not the kind of thing I'd be intrigued in watching. But from a statistical standpoint and from a software engineer standpoint, it's fascinating that people are like, I know there's an end to this. There's a place where this screen goes black and I'm going to get there. Yeah, I would just I would just, um, you know, want to watch a YouTube video of somebody having and to the of the end of it. Uh huh. The last two or three <laughs> minutes, last, maybe. Give me the last minute. Yeah. And, you know, and, and therefore, it seems such a waste, like just. You know, just get a just get a cheat or something so you can see the end. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's uh, but I you know I gotta respect the dedication that people have to do this. And then, what kind of dedication must you have? I don't know. This is admir. I don't want to be admiring this person, but sure, they cared so much that they were willing to cheat and right. put their reputation at risk. Is is bizarre? Absolutely. Now. Interestingly, you mentioned reputation. Um, so uh, he is himself on one of the the uh, video game leaderboard boards, I guess for lack of a better term. And uh, so he posted a video today because I guess they're meeting. They just happen to be meeting today. 
Um, and so he posted a video because the board suggested that he do. And it was interesting. He basically said that um, if this is how, how we're going to play this, I can play the game too, which is uh, a bit of a chest thump, I think. Um, but he suggested that maybe there's a lot more of this out here, out there than uh, either the forum or Twin Galaxies or even uh, Guinness wants to admit. And uh, it sounds like he's ready to do some uh, exposing. So this, this story may be far from over. Which is crazy it it's crazy it was 11 first of all it was 11 years ago <laughs> and second of all the game is 35 years old it, it's crazy that this story isn't over and that he's he's basically threatening to expose the whole group i can't wait to see what he's got <laughs> i don't know it it's the it's the kind of thing like that that sounds too crazy to be true, and I, I just can't not watch, I think, is what it comes down to. <laughs> anyway, we're, obviously we're going to keep following this, because like I said, this is too crazy not to. This week's news from the tubes on F5 Live is proudly powered by Riff Tracks. Make fun of movies or let the professionals do it for you. Uh, <laughs> the way it usually works is for a couple dollars, you download the MP3, play it along with your DVD, Netflix, Amazon, wherever the movie happens to exist, and laugh. Um, they've, got, they've got all kinds of films from blockbusters to Dark Future. I don't know what that is. Uh, so a whole variety of stuff uh, you can enjoy that way. And from time to time, they do live events. Um, they've got some live events coming up um, soon. Um, June 14th, they have Space Mutiny, which will be riffed live in theaters nationwide. And right now, there's always a deal of the week. Um, it will expire sometime tomorrow, but it is Mutant. Save $2 off on Mutant right now, and a new one will start tomorrow. Uh, you can find the deal, all of the movies that are available, and find out what theaters the live event will take place in by going to f5live.tv slash tracks with an X. You would think that since I have been doing that promo almost identical for like six years, that I would not have just choked on it, but here we are. Anyway, <laughs> It happens. Let's talk about privacy. We talked about privacy last week, and uh, for good reason. Um, there's been a lot of talk about it. If you turned on any screen, it doesn't matter what screen you turned on this week, whether it be a phone, a computer, your television, you saw at least one picture of Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, uh, speaking in front of Congress. You either saw it seriously or you saw him as Data from Star Trek, which was my favorite collection of images of him. 
I don't know about you, Avram, but I enjoyed that. But um, there are companies like Facebook that we willingly give information to. And then there are uh, organizations like Google, which goes out and finds information on its own. Um, both of which could theoretically affect you. Um, you know, we've seen uh, college applicants uh, lose scholarships and stuff because of Instagram photos. We've seen people lose out on jobs because of um, Facebook posts. So both of these can can affect you. The second, not necessarily being your choice and as such, the European Union a couple of years ago, and by that I think I think it was 2014, uh, implemented something called the right to be forgotten. It was forced upon Google and uh, implemented um, shortly after, willingly, before the EU even tried, um, by Microsoft and Yahoo. And basically, you could petition these companies to uh, take information out of their search index about you, things that you uh, felt affected you negatively. Now, it was inevitable that somebody was going to ask for something and one of the companies was going to say no and it was going to go to court. And it did. So in the, in the UK, there was a suit filed, as anybody would have expected. Um, in it, uh, two men who are unnamed uh, for privacy reasons, of course, since this is all about privacy, right? Uh, they are referred to as NT1 and NT2. Uh, they both asked Google to remove information about them. And uh, Google said no, because the information that was being asked to be removed was uh, public. It was information about arrests and convictions, which mm. in, in the United States... Uh, like, I don't know about in New York where where Avram is, but I can speak for our area here in Tampa. Um, all of our counties have a way to search all of that information anyway. All of that stuff is public record, which is, of course, the reason why we see celebrity mugshots, because arrests are, are public information. And so they wanted Google to remove these arrests and convictions from their search index, and Google said... No, it's public information. Absolutely not. They took it to court, and this week, a judge said that one of them could have their information removed and one of them not, which I think is fascinating. Um, is it the same judge or are these two different cases? Same judge, same case, um, but the information being requested to be removed uh, was different. Uh, in the case of NT1, it was in the 90s, and it was uh, for conspiracy to account falsely. And NT2 was in the early 2000s for conspiracy to intercept communications. Um, in this case, uh, the judge believed that information about NT1 was of public interest and was uh, denied, whereas NT2 was not. The main reason was whatever happened with NT2, whatever... The conviction was the judge said that it was um, unlikely to ever be repeated, whereas NT1, uh, he believed that it was the kind of behavior that um, not only was likely to be repeated, but information that maybe an employer should have access to. But that's the kind of thing that's going to show up in a background check 
not in a Google search. So it's all very strange. Obviously, there's no way it ends here. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I see. I see the issue here. Um, hmm. So the question is this: Should information be like the elevator inspection certificate, or should it be easily accessible? Right. Right. Like. You go into elevators, I don't know about you, most elevators, and living in New York, I see many elevators, uh-huh. and many of the elevators have a little sign in it. They used to actually put an inspection certificate in the elevator, so you could look and see that your elevator had been inspected. Um, not that it should, re- not that anybody cares, because by the time you're in the riding elevator, it's too late anyway. But now, True. the last few years, they always put elevator inspection certificate available upon request. Who's the stickler who's like, uh, who's going to go to the front desk or wherever they must store these things if they have it at all uh, and be like, listen, I'm not riding in any of your elevators until you show me the inspection certificate. Like, who, who, has anyone ever done that? Who does that? So that's information that's public, right? It's available to the public. But it's not easily accessible to where sure. you would actually like bother, right? To to go do it. Google takes things that are public information, like somebody's arrest record, and give makes it them easily accessible. Right. So before the internet, and and in many cases things that are not on the internet, it's a different story. If you have to go to some police department or or wherever you have to ask for a rest worker. First of all, you wouldn't necessarily know which one to go to go to, right? Like, uh, this is, there's, there's a lot of flaws in the whole background check system because, you know, I, if you're conduct, if you're a business or any entity and you're conducting a background check on someone, usually you're only calling the police or the County, whatever, in the places where you know this person has spent has been or the adjacent places or whatever. But, you know, if they flew over for the weekend to commit a crime out of state, uh, you know, you wouldn't find out. True. But, you know, if it made the newspaper or some other database, then Google will have it. So uh, I do feel bad for people who have done something wrong or something they're just embarrassed about. And it's always going to be there on um it's always going to be there on google uh it's always going to be there on someone's website uh but i think the real question is why are you suing google shouldn't you be suing whoever it is that but no you you can't even like you're going to sue the state for putting up that information right like that's 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 public information it's an arrest record Uh they should not uh, in my opinion opinion neither of those things should have been excluded from google now i feel a little more sympathy for people who put up stupid stuff right and now can't get it out of of google like you know you wrote some ridiculous stuff on a message board and you it has your name attached to it that you wish you hadn't you know or you know you sure you or, put up a ridiculous web page you can't take it down now because it's gone or whatever like yeah you know for for years because because arch- archive.org has got your old geocities website ah but the but they didn't sue geocities they didn't 
they should sue the Wayback Machine before they sue Google because Google will delist it if it's gone. Right. But these are things that are in the public, so they're not going to be gone. Right. Now, I also feel bad for the people who are arrested uh, and not convicted of a crime. And, you know, they're arrested innocent until proven guilty. But now if I Google them, maybe I'll get a story about them being arrested. Sure. So, you know, but you kind of who do you blame there? Not I don't know if it's Google because really you gotta blame whoever published it. And once again, news stories are a snapshot in time. So mm-hmm. you were arrested that made the news when the charges were dropped against you two weeks later, maybe it didn't make the news or maybe it was a separate article. Right. So it doesn't rank as highly in search. So you know, it's um it is unfortunate how search takes what used to be a difficult thing to get. Like if you want to see if someone was in the news for something, you know, good or bad, you used to have to go to the microfiche, right? <laughs> sure. You used to go to the library and go through the microfiche. Well, who's going to bother to do that? That's like the asking for the elevator certificate. But, you know, now it's so easy. Who's, you know, if you are, are hiring someone for a job or you're, you know, considering going on a date with someone you saw on, you know, on a dating site or whatever, the first thing you're going to do is Google them. It's so, definitely pretty po- pretty common. In the near future, maybe not even the near future, maybe in the present, children will need to have media training. They will need to be trained not to say dumb things, not to say controversial things one of the uh one of the companies we've invited to be on the show for collision uh has a platform specifically for that for teaching kids not to post things yes i'm fascinated i gotta hear about this after uh absolutely <laughs> i'm hoping they'll be on the show hopefully hopefully they'll respond uh, but... I'm, 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 I'm fascinated because, yeah, you're going to like what we used to reserve for people who are showing, showing up to be interviewed on TV, that kind of training we now have to give to um, to young children who might go on the Internet. Absolutely. It's it is definitely an interesting thing. Obviously, the, the timing on this case uh, coming to a conclusion is uh, perfect because there's been this renewed conversation about privacy online. Um, and so, uh, like I said earlier, it's very unlikely that this is the end of it. Uh, it seems like the uh, NT2 is probably going to uh, appeal and Google is probably going to appeal on NT1. So th- this case is almost certainly not over uh but it could create an interesting uh legal precedent for uh the uk at the very least and maybe the european union as a whole um because it it creates a legal override so this will be again this is another interesting story we'll definitely keep you uh posted on because it may even end up with uh, repercussions outside of the UK or the European Union. 
This week's DRM not included on F5 Live is proudly powered by Amazon Prime. You know your normal benefits. You know you get free shipping, sometimes same day, sometimes two hour, depending on where you are and what you're ordering. But you may not know that you also get Amazon Prime Music, which is unlimited streaming of a couple million tracks, uh, which is included in your subscription that you already have. Amazon Prime Video, which has a whole bunch of interesting uh, video content and um, additional channels that you can add, uh, like HBO and Showtime. You've got Twitch Prime, which now has two benefits. You get one free subscription on Twitch, and you get free video games um, just for being an Amazon Prime subscriber. And there's a number of other features as well. Uh, We've got a list of some of our favorites, and we've got a free 30-day trial if you're not already a Prime subscriber. Uh, and you can get all of that by going to f5live.tv slash prime. So we'll stick with Google for a little bit and uh, talk briefly about YouTube again. Uh, we've talked about the the issues that, that YouTube has encountered uh, recently. They've... They've had uh, policy confusion and enforcement changes, and there was the issue where um, non-kid-friendly content was showing up in YouTube Kids, uh, just a whole variety of things. And this week, uh, they have a new issue added to the, uh, the YouTube brand with a, a collection of um, privacy groups petitioning the Federal Trade Commission to investigate what they believe to be a willful ignoring of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, uh, more commonly known as uh, COPA. The law was passed in 98 and uh, revised and expanded in 2012 and essentially says that that a company cannot collect any information about a child uh, without parental... Uh, approval. Now, if you've ever signed up for a thing, any account online, uh, you have likely been asked either for your date of birth or checked a little box that says you're you're, you're 13 years of age or older. Um, And that is because of this law in particular. So, what they're claiming is that Google and YouTube are fully aware that children under 13 use YouTube on a regular basis uh, with or without an account. And they point to a number of, a number of things. First, uh, the number of obviously kid-run uh, YouTube channels with children under 13 who are not only browsing but posting content. Um, and also the fact that there is uh, advertising specifically targeting a young audience that shows up on YouTube uh, if you have watched um, kid-friendly content, your advertising starts showing up as um, a very young uh, audience targeting. And so uh, they believe that that indicates that YouTube is fully aware that they are ignoring this law and um, have gone to the Federal Trade Commission to complain. So what are 
so here's what I don't get. Okay, so we're talking about Copa, right? Uh-huh. Um, so I, I remember um, I was working at about.com when, when Copa uh, came into law and was being considered. And it caused, you know, at our job, it caused people, them to have to, like, put up some extra disclaimers and things, just make you sign up for things like the chat rooms and the forums uh-huh. that they had and things like that. Because, hey, you have to be, uh, you know, 13 or older um, to sign up. But here's the thing. I mean... Who's to know that you're thirteen? That you're actually thirteen mm-hmm. and older. I mean, are you going to get ID from everyone? But the other thing is with YouTube. Now, here's what I don't understand about Copa: is it? My understanding was thirteen or older for them to collect information on you and sort of let you publish things, I uh-huh. guess. Uh, but. To be a, a passive observer viewing YouTube videos, um, I, I don't know if that's really covered under under COPA. So long, so long as they're tracking your uh, browsing history by IP address, they're still tracking information about a child's behavior online. But they don't know it's a child's behavior unless someone has signed up as a child. Which Which will obviously be the the argument that will happen with the the FTC in this case because obviously YouTube's going to say we don't if they haven't signed up we have no way of knowing whether they're a child or not and this uh, this coalition of twenty plus uh, privacy groups that have filed this uh, this complaint are going to say if you don't believe that that children under 13 are using your are using your service then why do you have ads targeting children under 13 I have the answer okay so here's this is a very common circumstance which is very common circumstance my son is six I even I do not allow him to to surf YouTube by himself. Sure. Right. I don't know what he's going to find there, but he believes that there is a video of every possible thing that he might want to see. So like, like for example, these wrote with these robots, he's like, show me a video of someone playing with the dash robot and using it with star, with star Wars toys or something like that. Okay, I'm sure. like, like, I don't think such a video exists. Um, you know, but he'll have me go and like, and like, you know, search for it and, we'll sure. be, you know, or, you know, any sort of toy that he wants is like, show me a video of it. So I will begrudge him and I will go on a device that has YouTube, like my phone um, and or our TV and like search for the, search for that with him there sure. and put the video on for him. You know, and occasionally I'll let him go and click on one of the related videos or something like that. Um, So is that targeting children? I mean, I was in the driver's seat. I searched it for him. I'm sitting there with him. 
you know, he he watched it. Um, but, you know, like, who was the the viewer that's being tracked, me or him? Right. The, the fact that you're sitting there with him would probably um, constitute uh, parental approval. Right. I guess what I'm saying is, like, can you blame Google for for putting like that's I think that's a legit use of having a kid friendly ads. I like, totally agree. If your parents are, you know, supervising you, let's say, and and you're watching YouTube under those circumstances, you know, I mean, we have kid friendly ads on. Sunday morning cartoon on, on, you know, on cartoons, right? Sure. You've kid friendly ads on, on children's programming. Sure. So what else? So what else is new? People advertise to children. And why is that tracking if they're giving you kids ads? I mean, if you're watch someone who who watches child friendly content, then you might want to watch these child friendly ads. Absolutely. I, I am totally with you. I think that the argument is. Um doesn't quite hold water. Um, I can understand how they got to it. Um, if you if you look at the concept a little skewed, I can understand how they get there, but I don't necessarily agree with them. Also, who's to say that an ad is designed exclusively for children? Right. Like even if it's an ad for toys, maybe I'll maybe I mean this is highly unlikely that I'm looking to buy more stuff for my son, but I'm just saying like it's. It's possible an adult could see it and be like, I want to buy that for my kid. Sure. So, Absolutely. You know, rather than a kid saying it and saying, I want it. So, you know. Or or themselves. It's, it's, there are there are adult toy collectors and stuff. Yeah. It, I, I guess it really depends on what, what it is, you know. So, sure. But anyway, yes. The, it's it's not a foregone conclusion that, that the ad you think is child friendly, friendly it only works for children. Right. I, I'm totally with you on that. Um, this will be... I think this is going to be a fight that YouTube actually wins uh, in the end. Um, and I don't necessarily think that this coalition totally believes their own argument. Uh, if you read the letter, uh, which we have linked on the website at uh, if you if you read the letter, um, it's not... A hundred percent convincing uh, that they necessarily believe their own argument. It might be that uh, this is their way of bringing up a topic uh, in a way that they knew would get media play. Um, and being as one of the one of the uh, probably the lead uh, organization of this little coalition is. Uh, an organization called Commercial Free Childhood. Uh, it's probably more about making noise and bringing up a topic like, you know, half the people who run for president in the beginning of of a campaign season. Almost none of them actually want to be president. They just want to bring a topic into the into the conversation. This might be that same kind of thing. And they were hoping that you and I would talk about it this week. Yeah, so we did. We did. <laughs> and uh, you can't, unfortunately, you can't escape commercialism. For it's very hard to, as a parent, I'm just telling you, it's very hard to, to escape commercialism 
from kids and kids wanting stuff. It's kind of the nature. Yeah, of, and especially especially if you're using the internet, it's not like you know we've talked about it a, a lot. It's not like the internet is free for no reason because all of this content costs a lot of money. You're you know content costs. Yep. I so, mean, don't you couldn't you get an ad free experience with like YouTube Red or something? So sure. So you know you want you don't want you can see ads pay for YouTube Red. There's a way to do it. Absolutely, totally agree. Or keep them off of YouTube. Right. If you don't if you don't agree with their policies, don't use the service. I think that's the basis of um, a free economy. <laughs> and uh, that is our show. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you joined us live, uh, f5live.tv slash join us. Um, Sunday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, you can go there and chat with us in the chat room and uh, give us your input on the topics as we talk about them. We always appreciate that. Uh, if you did not join us live, that is okay. You can also subscribe by going to playkitslive.com slash subscribe, and there you will see all of our shows uh, F5 Live and The Pilch Point and a bunch of other series as well um, next week I believe we have a normal show and then the week after I believe uh, we are in New Orleans let me look at a calendar yes so uh, we will be uh, traveling in two weeks so uh, that show will probably not happen considering we will have um, like 32 or more hours of live coverage the next four days. Uh, so you'll definitely want to follow that at collision.live. Uh, you can see all of our other content, of course, at uh, plugitslive.com. And with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we will see you guys back next week. Ciao.